Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. We are continuing our behind-the-scenes series. Joining us today, Daryl Evans. How are you doing today, Daryl? I am wonderful, Jess. How are you guys doing today? I'm excellent. And, of course, Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? I'm a little disappointed that I didn't wear a three-piece suit to <laughs> properly prepare for this interview. Well, uh, I feel underprepared. Well, you know what? You just got to set the tone and leave the rest of the imagination. Yeah. They can only wonder what we're wearing. I could have lied. You could have lied and said I was in a three-piece suit, but that's not my MO. So, Daryl, we are the purpose of this conversation is to find out how much work and effort goes into your job as color commentator on the radio. But before we do all that, I want to touch on some stuff that I know, and I know you know, but that Zach might not know, and the average fan listening might not know. So let's get into the space between scoring the goal in the Miracle on Manchester and starting your broadcasting career with the LA Kings. For those who don't know, Daryl Evans scored the overtime goal against the Edmonton Oilers in the game known as the Miracle on Manchester. And then... We've got a little bit of time to fill yeah, in there, yeah. Jess. So. <laughs> well, um, well, you know, it that goal uh, came very young in my career, just mm-hmm. 21 years of age. Um, would have liked to have had a you know much longer NHL career, and unfortunately it didn't work out. I got traded from, from L.A. Uh, to the Washington Capitals, where I spent a season with the... Uh, Capitals and their farm team, which was in Binghamton, uh, in the American Hockey League, a team that we shared with the Hartford Whalers, the Binghamton Whalers. Had a good year there. I was an all-star there. Uh, I think I had 92 points, uh, over 40 goals. It was a really solid year, uh, a lot of fun. And then the year after that, I signed uh, as a free agent with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I picked that a little bit uh, to be able to get back home, so to speak. Their farm team was in Newmarket, Ontario. And the way it was set up, uh, you, know, you could live in one location and either make a left turn and go play for the big team or make a right turn and go down on the farm. And uh, I was turning right a lot more than I was turning left. Uh, but it was great uh, being around the family and that. My son was born then. And, you know, we got to spend a lot of time around, around the family. So that, that took uh, things there. I spent three years with the Maple Leafs. Uh, got a chance to play a regular season game. Uh, I got a chance to play in a playoff game with them as well. And uh, that was a kind of a dream come true, having grown up in Toronto, uh, to be able to play and put that Maple Leaf uniform on. Playing in the old Maple Leaf Gardens was uh, was something real special. So I cherished that moment. And uh, after that, I spent a couple of years or a few years over in uh, in uh, Europe playing. I went to Italy first, Val Gardena, Italy, a little town way up north just inside the Austrian border. Had a great season there. Um, led the league in scoring. Our team got beat out in the playoffs. And the following year, I ended up in uh, a little town in uh, northern England along the North Sea up by Newcastle called Whitley Bay. And uh, 
it was a, a different type of experience. I went over as a player coach, and uh, after a few weeks, uh, we had to make a decision whether I was going to play or coach. Uh, I felt it was too difficult to do both, especially on a team that uh, really needed a coach. Um, you know, and with imports, uh, for those of people that aren't you know aware, especially back at that time when we were going over. Imports were relied upon heavily. Like you went over there and they expected you to play. I mean, it was nice and never came off the ice. So it was good. Never complained about ice time. But if you look at it, I probably got paid $2 a minute for all the time, all the time that I played. But, uh, but you know, but it was a great experience, but it was difficult to do a bull because you, you know, you couldn't help the guys out, be it I was running practice in that. So, uh, I think they expected me to continue to play and not coach. And I actually went into coaching there. And, uh, you know, there's only 21 teams in the NHL at that time, so I felt expansion wasn't around the corner and chance of coming back uh, and playing in the NHL wasn't there. So that was a decision I made, and I, I, I love that loved that decision. It was I'm a lot of fun. I'm going to jump in here right now. Zach, how much of this did you know? Uh, all of it. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Because I think a lot of people don't. And when, I, yes. when people – when we talk about Daryl, I find myself frequently saying he's a fascinating dude <laughs> who's lived a fascinating life. Mm-hmm. And then I, But I think most people maybe aren't familiar with just how – Fascinating. How old are you at this point in the story? Uh, well, I'm the same age as when we started talking about this. Sixty-one. <laughs> no, uh, that that age of probably twenty. Let's see, probably about twenty-seven-ish, twenty-eight, twenty-eight-ish. Okay. I want to interject yeah. with one detail sure. on Daryl's time in Europe because it's one of the more fascinating things that you've told me that just interested me is why you drink hot water during games now, and you've told me why, and it related to the story you just told about playing overseas. Yeah, when I was overseas in, in Italy, uh, the re- the rink that we played at in most of the arenas were outdoors. They were up in the Alps. And we ran into some pretty chilly places where we were playing and some pretty windy places. Like, it made a big difference whether you're going which way. Like, if you had the first and third period or the second period going against the wind, one way your shot was 140 miles an hour. The other way it was about three miles an hour. Uh, but the hot water, I noticed on the bench when I got there, um, you know, that they had like almost like teapots, so to speak. And it was like a, a, a honey tea, a little bit, little bit of honey in it or, or lemon water with the tea. And it wasn't like piping, piping hot, but it was, it was warm. And so I asked the trainers a little bit about it. And, you know, they're saying, you know, boom, 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 drink it this way instead of the cold water. Because cold water, you tend to guzzle when you're thirsty. Hot water, you'll sip it. And it made a lot of sense. Your body processes it a lot better. So I've uh, carried that tradition on for a long time. Uh, I know I... I drink a lot of hot water through the course of a day, and I actually feel it's more thirst quenching than that cold water. So it's uh, it's something that uh, a lesson learned overseas. <laughs> there you go. So you're coaching now in England. Yes, and drinking hot water. And drinking nope. hot water <laughs> and slowly. Yeah, hot water. <laughs> yeah, coaching over in England. Uh, we had a team that had a very poor year the, uh, the year before I got there, and our first uh, preseason game. We're going to play a game. I'll never forget the owner coming up to me and his name was Mr. Smith and you had to call him Mr. Smith because his name was Francis. And I think everybody that's seen the, uh, the, uh, the movie, uh, oh God, uh, it'll come to me in a minute, but everybody's seen the movie. Don't call me Francis. Mm-hmm. He was that guy, small little man, petite little fella, but he wanted to be called Mr. Smith. He was basically the, the mayor of the town too. And, uh, so he tells me a couple of days in, he goes, Oh, and they just put new seats in the arena. Torval and Dean used to skate there way back, so they just redid the arena, and this was like, now it was the Taj Mahal. He says, we got a game coming up next whatever day it was. 
And he said, I want to win it. We're going to be sold out. He says, we've sold the building out. And I go, oh, cool. I said, you know, like, who are we playing against? He goes, I don't know. He goes, some team from Russia. I go, Russia? <laughs> I said, what team from Russia is traveling through here? You know, and I know what our team looked like. Like, we couldn't make a pass. You know, we couldn't connect with nobody resisting, let alone playing against a team from Russia. So he goes, I don't know, Dynamin, Dynamin, oh, no. you know, and I'm sitting there I'm going, <laughs> Dynamo? He goes, yeah. He goes, that sounds like it. Oh, no. And he says, well, he goes, I want to win the game. I said, we don't stand a chance if it's Russian Dynamo because I know, you know, who's on that team. I said, they go to the NHL and they beat up on NHL teams. And I said, we got me and one other guy that's been up and down in the minors. He hadn't even been in the NHL yet. I said, those are our two imports. We don't stand a chance. He goes, I don't like your attitude. I said, well, if we're playing the Russian Dynamo, I said, you know, sit back and watch. And sure enough, <laughs> that game comes about. First period starts, and I don't even remember what the names of all the guys were, but you know, it would be a lot of ovs. Ovs, yeah. Like, it, would, it, would be, it would be like the Ovechkin players of today and the right. Balkans and those. Type. They were loaded with that type of group, and they go on to the beat us uh, twenty-three to one in the oh, game. Boy. I scored. It was still minus twenty-two, but no. So yeah, so we played then. And after the first period, their top line gets undressed. Like, they don't oh, even play the rest of the game. I mean, they took some sympathy upon us. Yeah. So after the game, I get the call into his office, and he's kind of looking at me from across his desk, and he goes, that's a pretty good team. I said, they didn't even try tonight. He goes, what do you mean? I said, take a look at the score sheet. I said, look at who scored the first 10 goals. I said, and then look who scored after. I said, top line left the game. I said, they were up at the bar drinking. He goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, they're that good. And they said, we're that bad. And uh, so it was a great learning experience. Um, uh, I took over as a head coach about two, three weeks in and one great story while I was coaching, my mom and dad had just come down to, to England to watch, they're going to watch, thinking they're going to watch me play, but I was no longer playing by the time they, they got there and we'd played a team from Cardiff. Now Cardiff was kind of like the New York Yankees, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs, Montreal Canadiens. They got all the money in their sport. So they'd have anybody with British background was they had papers for so they had like five imports on their team they hadn't lost a game in 14 months and we'd played them in the preseason they'd beaten us 14 or 15 to three just they tore us apart three goals was our number we're, we're good scoring three but uh so we go on and my very first game playing against the as a head coach not as a player is against Cardiff and I got my guys wired for sound like these Hard work in town, like they're all uh, woods, wood carvers and things like that. And give them a little pep talk for the game. This is what we're going to do. We're going to break it down, five-minute increments, boom, boom, boom. This focus, physical, boom, get in their face. And we got a 6 nothing lead at the end of the first period. And I'm looking around. I'm sitting on the bench, and the owner of the team is making his way around the top thing. And he's got this grin, like, from ear to ear. This <laughs> big, you know, I'm just going, I'm shaking my head. I'm going... He has no clue, you know, how much time is left in this game. And he's coming, coming, coming. And I got a manager on my team who's about 6'6", six, six, about 280, 300 pounds, a monster of a man. And he stands kind of in behind the door, and I'm in there, and I'm just getting ready to start delivering. All right, guys, nice period. Let's settle down, and, you know, we got a long way to go yet. And sure enough, little Mr. Smith's hand comes through the door there, and I literally grab it and – can't say what I said to him at that time, but it was Francis, get the out of here. And literally, airborne throw I throw him out of there and close the door. And I and I and the guy who was my manager, I said, stand right there. I said, keep the lock on, don't let him in the door. And he's looking at me like, 
you know, like, mate, he says, you can't do that. He's the <laughs> owner of the team. And the guys in the team are like, their eyes are wide open or, you know, mouths are wide open. Like, what? You know, like, that's Mr. Smith. So I'm going, all right, guys, settle down. And the manager goes, he goes, mate, he says, you're going to lose your job. He said, after, you know, I said, I don't care about losing my job. I said, but we're not going to lose this hockey game. I said, we're going to stay focused here. I said, we're going to win this hockey game. We go up. We end up winning the game 13 to 2. We just tear them apart. Not a lot of uh, nail biters in this league. No, <laughs> no, no, no. There's a lot of a lot of offense. They were they were ahead of the NHL when it came to when it came to scoring. <laughs> Goaltending wasn't quite uh, Jonathan Quick like at that time. And um, the uh, he owned the barn in the arena as well, of course. And I sent up for two cases of beer. Now he he was tight, like his his pockets used to squeak, and you know they, you know they, they they squeak when he walked by you. So I ordered two cases of beer. My manager, I said Kingsley, I said order two cases of beer. And he's just shaking his head at me. And then finally, we had like a bat phone over in the corner. It was a red phone in the locker room. And the phone rings. Bring, 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 bring. And he picks up. He goes, Mr. Smith wants to see you in his office. <laughs> and all the guys are like, oh, boy. you know, Now, here it comes now. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, I'll go and sit down there and chit-chat with the guys. And he goes, no, he wants you now. I said, hey, no rush. I said, you know, he's going to fire me. He's going to fire me. I said, why? Why did go up there? I said, I got five more minutes. So a couple of guys literally had tears in their eyes because we'd built a nice rapport with these guys, and they knew how much I was behind them, and I appreciated how much they worked. So I get up there, and one thing I learned in my time away before, uh, you know, was to kick back, listen, and, you know, see what the other side has to say before you know, before I start yakking. And I'm sitting there, and he's looking at me, and I, I was a monster beside him. Like, he was a small man, so I, I was a giant. So you can only imagine how small he was. Looked like an action figure. And uh, so we're, we're sitting there talking or looking at each other, staring each other down. And finally he goes, you're crazy. <laughs> and I'm, I'm I, you know, I just kind of, like, put my hands, you know, like, what do you mean? You know, like, you know, like what do you mean? And he goes, I've never seen that side of you. He says, and when I threw him out of there, I called him Francis. And I think that's what bothered him the most. <laughs> sure. You know, I said, get out of here, Francis. And he goes, you called me Francis. And I said, Mr. Smith, I said, you hired me to coach a hockey team. I said, yeah, I called you Francis. I said, but I said, that locker room is my, that's my domain there. I said, this is, when they're in, the, in there, they're mine. I said, everything else is, is, is all yours. Said, but you got to let me coach the team, you know. And he goes, you called me Francis. He repeats it again. Like, this was the only thing that was on his mind that I called him Francis for all this time. I know I called you yeah. Francis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Going, I'm going, oh, gee, I shouldn't have called him Francis. So, you know, a little bit quick. He goes, he goes, when you walk down the street with your wife and your son, he says, you're such a nice, mild-mannered man. <laughs> I said, well, I said, you know, everybody's got that, you know, little, little letter, you know, snap, crackle, pop. So he goes, wow. He goes, I said, the game was far from over. I said, I just played them three weeks ago. They beat us 15 to three. I said, they could score, you know, 15 goals just like that. I said, six wasn't enough. And again, he repeats the Francis thing again. And then I said, the guys did, you know, a heck of a job. He goes, wow. He goes, he goes, well, he goes, please. He says, when you see me in public, he says, will you call me Mr. Smith? <laughs> and I says, Mr. Smith. I said, I don't call you Mr. Smith because you ask or tell me to. I said, I do it out of respect. I says, you're. You know, I said, first of all, I said, you're my senior. I says, and you're my boss. I said, I call you Mr. Smith. I said, that's why I was brought up. So all in all, everything gets pushed aside. Everything's good. I'm co you know, I go on to keep coaching. And we make it all the way to the country final that year. We actually beat his brother's team out who, in the village, our town over, uh, had a really good team. We beat them in the playoffs. Classic and Smith Derby, huh? Yeah, I was going to yeah, say, yeah, what, yeah, was yeah, his, yeah. what was his brother's name? 
Dad, Dad, I don't even know what his name, his Master brother's Smith. name. Yeah, Master. yeah, yeah. Monsieur. But yeah. he had the same type of like mindset. Like they're just, you know, right. they're real powerful. So it was a great year. And at the uh, at the at the final there to go to Wembley to play in the in the big tournament there at the end. So we had one game. We played against Cardiff. That was the team that you know that we beat that first time, and uh, we had to come from Scotland. We had to come all the way from Murrayfield. It was like a 12, 13-hour bus ride. So we drove from all through the night. We get there at 11 o'clock in the morning. We got to play like 4 in the afternoon. There was no flights. Everything was fogged in and everything like that. And I'll never forget doing uh, the interview on uh, the British radio thing after. You know, And I kind of give the British Hockey Federation a little bit of the business because, you know, they set us up for failure. And we ended up getting beat 3-2 to two in that game. It was a heck of a game. But I thought our guys did a heck of a job. And I had agreed to go back for a uh, four-year contract after that. And uh, I was at a barbecue one weekend, just a couple of weeks prior to getting ready to go over there, and met a gentleman. And he, you know, he said, oh, he said, what are you going to do when you retire from hockey? I said, well, I kind of retired this year. I said, I went into coaching. He goes, coaching? He said, oh, I, said, I didn't know you were interested. I said, I didn't know I was interested in it either. I said, when I was a player coach, I didn't, wasn't worried about the coaching part of it. And uh, he goes, well, what are you going to do when you retire? I said, well, I says, I think, you know, a lot at that time, there's a lot of personal training going on. And I was working and training with a couple of people. And I said, you know, I like to be get involved, you know, in a gym somewhere. No money to, you know, to be able to put one together myself. He goes, oh, he goes, you ever thought of selling cars? <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, you know, selling cars. I said, I, said, I don't know where the hell the key goes in most cars. I said, let alone sell them. <laughs> and, you know, he kind of chuckled at me. He goes, no, he goes, your personality. He says, I think you'd be great. He says, come see me tomorrow. We'll have breakfast. All right. That, that statement right there, your personality would be great at selling cars, could either be a tremendous compliment or a <laughs> yeah. tremendous insult, depending well, on, well, figured, on who said what, it, how they said yeah, it. Yeah, so I figured I, I got to go it. listen to how he's going to explain this right. in the morning, why he thinks I can sell somebody a car. Yeah. And you know, I've never done anything in sales before other than, I guess, sell myself on the ice, you know, as, as a player. But um, so the next morning I go, and my wife um, at, at the time, she was originally from California. So... When I came home after the interview with him, and I said to her, I said, we're staying in California. I said, you know, I said, we're not going back to Europe. And she goes, what do you mean? She goes, did you get a job with the Kings? <laughs> I said, no. I said, I'm going to sell cars. And her first words were, you don't know anything about cars, she says. <laughs> sure. So I said, well, I said, the guy thinks I'm going to be great. And conversation goes on a little bit more, and she and we were staying at her her mom's, my mother in law's at the time, because we were only there for a couple of weeks during the summer. And she says, "Well, how much are they going to pay you?" I said, "Well, I didn't ask." <laughs> she goes, "What do you mean you didn't ask?" So I said, well, "I'll ask them tomorrow when I see them." So I go in the next day. Hey, you know how much am I getting paid for this thing? Oh, I'm waiting to hear this big, you know, six digit contract coming coming out. He goes, "Oh, you're on uh, commission." I go, oh, geez. You know, so a couple of gulps there. So I come home and I tell my wife, I said, I'm on commission. She goes, we're going to starve. She said, like, and I said, well, I said, for some reason, he thinks I'm going to be good at it. And it took me nine days to sell my first car. And it was a, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And I dealt with a gentleman that was in Beverly Hills that I drove a car to twice from Calabasas to Beverly Hills, oh, my Lord. which was unheard of at that time. Yeah. Like, there was, like, Everything was come to the dealership. Like there was no internet. There was none of this kind of stuff going on. So I was just doing customer service, so to speak. And he took a liking to me, he and his wife. Like the first time I went there, he didn't even look at the car. We had breakfast. We had bagels, cream cheese. I'm talking about his family. And they're 80 plus years old. Take him out for a drive. He had no interest to drive the car. 
and he kept telling me he's got the car beat cheaper. The new model had just come out, the STS, and I, you know, I'm asking my boss for a discount. He said, "No, we're not discounted cars." He's, you know, so I had to take the car back a second time. My boss goes, "We don't do this." <laughs> he says, "You know what?" He says, "He goes, you're going to hang yourself." He said, "But this is good. It's a good lesson." He says, "You might as well get this out of your way right now." I go back up there again. I got all the way from Calabasas to Beverly Hills. Of course, we're having breakfast and lunch and all that at the house again. And and he comes out and he's got a cashier's check made out to our number one dealership competitor down the road. Oh, no. And he's got the car bought for $2,500 less. You know, my heart just, you know, falls to the floor and I'm going. And he goes, come on, let's go. Get up. And I'm looking. And, you know, his wife's looking. And I said, we'll go. He goes, we're going to the dealership. I said, we cannot discount the car. I said, they've already, I said, he's not going to, he goes, come on, let's go. In the car I get, and just like driving Mr. and Mrs. Daisy behind me, you know, they're in the back seat and barely see, you know, see over the back seat, the two of them. And we get to the dealership and he starts walking slowly down, you know, through the uh, uh, showroom and sales manager's name was uh, Don Miller. And Miller, where are you, Miller? And he's screaming like it wasn't that loud, but he's screaming at the top of his voice. My boss kind of gets up, looks over his seat, and he sees this tiny little man about four foot and change. And you know, he waves well, his hat. shorter back then, or because <laughs> your like coworkers were all under five feet. I knew I knew how to select a job. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was in the NBA, according to them. <laughs> and uh, so he goes in, and he's telling my boss. He goes, he goes, Miller. He goes. Ed Kenny says, the best salesman, he says, I've ever seen. He says, I've been in business for 60-whatever years. He says, I've never seen a salesman like that. I've been in sales for, not, that's my ninth day, right? And I, I haven't, still haven't sold anything, so how the hell can I be a sale, classified a salesman? So he goes, hey, you know, boom, boom, boom. He throws the check on the table. He says, I got this car bought for $2,500 less. He said, but his his time and the way he's treated me, he says, it's worth $2,500 to me. Rips the check up, buys the car for me, and away we go. Wow. Next day, I sell five cars. So I started selling in September. Between September and December, I ended up third in the country in dealerships that size in sales. And that's how the car the car business kicked off for me. For somebody who absolutely knew nothing, but I had great managers. And they, you know, for whatever reason, I guess they figured they could mold me. And, you know, they taught me to do some things the right way. And, and then the gifts that I've been given through, you know, from my parents and that, and to put them all together. And it was magic, but it was great. It was a great, uh, seven year span. So I'm a very cynical person by nature. I think both of you know that pretty well. Um, there's a phrase that I'm really, really fond of that I use to sort of, uh, steer me through most human interactions. And the phrase goes, the brighter, the picture, the darker, the negative. And generally speaking, what it means to me is when you meet somebody who's very cheery and sweet and nice all the time, usually I don't believe it. I think it hints at something they're covering for something. Um, In the years that I've known you, and I don't know how long it's been now, but it's been a while. I, you're the exception to my rule. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The amount of like, you know, I had the good fortune to be at this event last week that people have sort of heard about. And I bumped into you there and, you know, I said, oh, are you going to be around tomorrow? And you said, no, I've got to go do a ribbon cutting tomorrow morning at I don't know what time it was. But you had to drive out yep. somewhere yeah, in downtown the morning. LA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you yeah, were taking your kid to the airport in the afternoon yep. and then be back for dinner. I mean, every time somebody bumps into you, you're speaking to a charity group. You're at a ribbon cutting. You're, you know, teaching a lesson for some 
new fan. I mean, the amount of value that you bring as a person, never mind a professional. Like, I don't know what we're going to do if you ever call in sick. Um, <laughs> or if a, a local dealership offers Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Blank check to sign. Right. Don't so, get I'm waiting for the new estate. models to come out. I'm waiting for electric cars, then UFOs. And but I mean, I, I say all that because I don't know how you do it. Like, where does that, where does that, you know, just hearing you talk about the guys in the locker room for a British hockey team that you coached, I don't know how many years ago. And like, in my mind, the British hockey leagues are, you know, they're plumbers and carpenters on the weekend, That's a, right? Like, well, during the day, I mean, we, yeah. used, we practice at 1130 at night. But you're talking, but to hear that you, you speak about them is the way <laughs> I would expect to hear Daryl Sutter talk about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, so, I mean, so is a goofy question. There isn't a real answer, but like, where does that goodwill come from? I think I remember when I first came to LA and we did a hockey camp at, uh, we did one up in big bear at Lake Arrowhead or Lake Arrowhead. And we did one, uh, it was blue Jay. And then we did one in Torrance and looking at the equivalent of a maybe 15-year-old skater here was probably the equal of a 7-year-old or 8-year-old in Toronto. I was one of those kids that couldn't skate. My dad never skated a day in his life. I put skates on when I was 8 years old. We played street hockey and all that. Uh, but I was such a bad skater, I couldn't stand up. I was goalie my first year. And I got a shutout my first game. But I was one of those kids that we had a 90-second buzzer, I think, or 60 seconds, whatever it was, you know, Pick up Daryl, get him up, put him on the bench, put him back out there. I'd fall over a couple times. They'd pick me up. You know, I was like, and I was a goalie. And my mom and dad missed one game that year because we only had one car in the family. My dad was working a Saturday job. And one kid in the league could flip the puck a little bit. And probably the frames on the glasses that you're wearing right now are stronger than my mask. <laughs> and the one kid flips the puck, and he hits me right between the two eyes. And by the time I get home, Rocky the Raccoon, I got these two big black eyes. I got a little bend in my nose that. You know, probably started to, you know, where it's at now. And my dad comes home from a Saturday job. How was hockey today, son? He's looking at me and I, you know, my eyes are a little bit closed and, you know, they're all nicely colored up. And he, I saw a dad. I said, I loved it. I said, it was great. And he goes, you learn to skate next year. You don't play. <laughs> and I'm going, where the hell am I going to learn to skate next year? You know, I, I can't go from me to you without falling over. And they put me in a power skating class, uh, Tamil Shanner ice rink in, in agent court, Ontario there. And, I had a great coach and the impact that he had on me, I think is something that I've never forgotten. I think that's why I'm so involved with youth hockey. And he was, he took me, I was an all-star the next year. And next thing you know, I was playing travel hockey. I was a captain of my teams right from a young age and things just blossomed there. I started teaching before my 11th birthday um, and things just opened up for me, but it was all, the attention that he gave me to want to make me better for whether he saw something in me, I don't know what it was, but I've always wanted to give that gift back. And I don't think I can ever repay it, but that's 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 my goal. I assumed that you were going to say, oh, he just took the laces off my skate. And suddenly <laughs> I, could, I could skate. Um, it, when did that start? That the, would, uh, that, yeah, that would, that would come shortly after that. I had one coach and, you know, skates back then, like if you look at skates, you know, they're all tied up real high. They flop over. I mean, they were like, pieces of paper and then when i got an actual pair of hockey skates which were tackleberry the ccms which were made out of kangaroo at that time then you started to get leather hold on no 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 hold on hold on <laughs> kangaroo 
Oh yeah. I put a little hop in your stride. Like yep. <laughs> is that is no, that, that is that, that yep. slang or no, so there's no. actual that, we know that the skates bear, yeah. were made from yeah. Kang. All right. Yeah. Yep. Who knew? Yeah. Yep. yep. And uh and my first hockey coach, he says you should uh, take the top eyelid, leave it undone. He says you get a little more flexibility in your ankles. Okay. And I eventually I took it to two. And then when I was playing down to three, down to four, down to five, and then I would tape them. So my skates were always on loose, but I could turn my feet over in my skates for more range of motion. And as I got older and started to figure out some things, our feet are a lot like our hands, you know, so why put them in a ski boot and immobilize them? You know, if you can start getting a push and skating always be, always was a gift for me. Like after, after I learned to finally do it properly, but I had great teachers, the power skating uh, school that I taught at uh, back in, uh, in uh, Toronto for a lot of years, Frank Miller power skating school. He did a great job, but you know, having me demonstrate all his drills and things like that. And I did everything from, you know, one side to the other side, you know, turning, stopping both ways. And uh, I love teaching still to this day. And it's because of, you know, the great teachers that I had back then. So it's just a matter of wanting to, to give back. And, I mean, what I accomplished, uh, you know, playing in the NHL and, you know, what we did against Edmonton, that was unbelievable. But I'm probably, in, you know, and this is honestly more proud of what I've accomplished post-career than I did when I actually played. Bad calls, dirty slashing. We expect a little bull on the ice, but you know when we can't stand it? When we're tracking packages, looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated. We call bullshit. So we got Route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No bullshit. Just great tracking. All right, so I want to sort of leapfrog into your current role as color commentator because you talked about the importance of teachers in your life and how much you love teaching. And really the role of a color commentator is teaching. You know, the play-by-play announcer is describing what happens and then you're there to provide context and an explanation to the listener. Um is that my interpretation or can you see that role in, uh, in what it is that you do with Nick? Well, well, it is. I mean, you know, Nick is going to tell you, you know, what's happening out there and I'm going to tell you why it's happening or how it's happening. Um, so he's got the eyes on it live, uh, you know, telling you exactly you know, where the puck's going, where people are going. And I'm kind of giving you, the, you know, the explanation, the purpose and everything in behind it and how they got there and why they got there. Uh, it, it's, it, it's a neat way of telling a story with two people. Um, and, I think, you know, from day one with Nick, I had the luxury of being able to listen to Nick prior to jumping on the air with him. You know, when, uh, when I'd be, you know, at the car dealership, I'd always have him on. And, you know, if I was out driving, you know, especially when the team was on the road, I'd, ha- I'd have those games on. And, or coming home at a home game, I'd have, you know, I'd have Nick on all the time. And that made the transition easy. You know, and even, even Bob, like the two of them, like at that time, uh, you know, did an incredible job, uh, you know, and, uh, it's just every day is a learning experience. You know, even here now, I mean, it's, you know, it goes back, you know, starting to do my first games in 98, 99 there, you know, that's, it's, it's a long time, but every, every day is, you know, I still find I learn, you know, whether it be from Nick or from Jim, you know, and Alex now on, uh, you know, on board with us, you know, and, and all the other guys, including yourselves and, you know, Zach and you, Jess, and, you know, you know, everybody that, that you talk to that, you know, you do a game where anytime, even Carlin, you know, you know, and Patrick O'Neill and these guys, you know, people are doing interviews, you learn something from everybody. 
and everybody's got different ways of doing things. And then I think you have to apply your own little personality towards it. Uh, but it's uh, it's something I enjoy doing, and I, I look forward to learning more and more as, as time goes by. Well, I've done color commentary a few times, and the hardest thing I found was not talking over the person doing play-by-play. Um, how has your rapport with Nick gotten better over the years to the point where I'm guessing that doesn't happen to you guys at all because you know exactly when and where the other person is going to speak? Well, Nick's got a mute button, so he just shuts me off. Yeah. Like, no, no, you know what? It's it, it, it's something, you know, you sit so close to each other in the booth. So, you know, there's a little bit like you kind of, and, and, you know, Nick explained to me as we're going, like, if you kind of see his dead time, you know, pucks out in a neutral zone or nothing's really going on, you see a defenseman take it behind a net and there's a line change, that's a little bit more of a green light for me to, if I want to tell a little bit of a story, I'll tell a story. But, you know, all of a sudden, if there's a turnover, like I might be saying, you know, you know, Kopitar's got the puck, and then all of a sudden, or, you know, he's going up the ice, and if, let's say he loses it, you know, and going back the other way, somebody's going towards our net, I'll just kind of drop off, like literally just drop off and let Nick take over. So it's, it's, you really have to stay in tune with what's going on in the game. Like, you just can't go off on your own, uh, you know, your own rant and just, you know, keep going. But uh, it just comes from experience. I mean, especially, I've, I've been blessed with having, you know, basically the same partner for, you know, almost every game that I've done. Um, so that's, and like I say, he, he makes it easy. You know, he continues to keep mentoring me and, uh, I look up to him. I, you know, I have the utmost respect for the way he calls the game. I love the way he calls the game and, uh, you know, I can close my eyes and I know exactly, you know, what, what he's saying or what he's describing on the ice. And, you know, on on the radio, that's what you have to do. You've got to be, you know, you've got to be a little bit more descriptive because people don't have the, the, you know, the visual, uh, access to be able to pick it up. Let's talk about preparation because context is huge for you know what we all do and i've seen you know the the folders that you write on before the games and i imagine if you took a hundred different broadcasters there'd be a hundred different methods of preparing right i doubt very much that there's a college course taught on how to research an opponent for a professional you know athletic competition so when when in a regular season when there's games every other day or sometimes you know every day how much advanced research are you doing for upcoming opponents? Well, I'll really, like I read the, you know, the sports scan that comes out every day for, you know, all 32 teams in the NHL. Statistically, like let's just say we're playing a Monday night game where there's only maybe two or three games. And yet I know on Thursday, you know, that next game that we play, or even if it's Tuesday night where let's say we've got a back-to-back situation, there might be 12 games the next night. So I'll take a look at, you know, streaks like this team's won 10 in a row, this team's lost five in a row, so-and-so's got assists in eight games, this guy's got goals in 12, this guy hasn't scored in 15 games. I'll make all these little notes down on my own stuff, and I'll prepare that kind of stuff. Because, I I mean, again, because of the way Nick has prepared me for, you know, how much time I've got or what I, you know, what he wants me to prepare, then I'll go in and I'll kind of, like, I'll personalize a little bit. But, um, you know, you try to, you try to pick out what, um, the fans want to hear, you know, what are interesting things. Like if you can pick up a, a little bit of a story, there's a time and a place to be able to, t- you know, tell those. Uh, with the ability to be able to get on t- TV sometime between periods and do those type of things, they have segments that are dedicated towards those things. But on a broadcast, like let's say a piece of glass gets broken or something like that, you know, we get time to tell a story. So uh, not necessarily we get to use everything that we put in our preparation, but you'd rather have it than not have it. Uh, so I don't think you can ever be too overprepared. You know, I know there's been times, especially in the early part of my games, that, you know, I'd have, you know, 
literally go out there with the Sunday Times written beside me, and you know, like, oh gee, I didn't get the three quarters of the stuff. So you got to find a way to get the stuff in, but again, you got to condense it and make it, you know, sharp and to the point where people are, oh, and then maybe they want a little bit more, and they might call in on the post game show. Hey, you mentioned this, or you said something about that, and you know, it just kind of lengthens things out and gives you a little bit of a relationship. How does your prep change working radio versus TV? Well, radio. When I'm doing the radio, I have the I've got the out of town scoreboard. So when I'm doing TV, I don't generally have to do the scores and all that for the out of town, the out of town games. And then we have a, uh, on the radio we have a news and notes segment. So I'll look up again, you know, certain injuries, trades that have gone about, uh, you know, or again that you know maybe a guy who's reaching a milestone, he's playing his thousandth game or something like that. So those are all things that you research. And and again, we all have access to all of that, but you do have to take the time and and. And, and read it. I mean, it's, you know, it, it is there if you want it. And then, uh, you know, you know, if we're, um, you know, on the road or something like that, we get a chance to speak to, you know, the visiting team more on the road than we do at home. Cause a lot of times they'll be practicing down at crypto when the Kings are over in Toyota. So you don't get a chance to interact with them in the morning, but you pick up little stories from those guys. And I think just the more that you can talk about, um, about the other team as well, I think it, it, it just makes for a better broadcast. You know, nobody wants to be known as a homer. Uh, you know, we all know we're all cheer. you know, we're all cheering for the team that we're, you know, that we're working for, but you don't want to be sitting there and, you know, blaming the referee or that guy's not that good. This guy's not that good. I think, I think it's important that you try to be as fair and equal and know as much, uh, you know, about the opposition as you possibly can. So a lot, a lot of work on the opposition. How often do people tweet mean things about you being <laughs> a homer at you and do you read them? You know what, I I really try not to be a homer, um, and I probably I sometimes I might even go a little bit more critical the other way. Uh, I don't read any of that stuff. I I really don't. Um, and probably the same thing for the pats on the back. I don't read that stuff either. Um, but it's uh, you know I I know some guys get caught up in that kind of stuff and they take it personally, and I don't think you can take it personally because at the end of the day we're not going to please everybody. And you know, I, and I know I don't please everybody. Um, but I try to be as consistent as I possibly can. That's, you know, that's what I try to do. Staying on the theme of the internet. Uh, I imagine that it would make your job a lot easier as the, as it's gotten better, the internet that is. Um, but I could also see maybe at some point it's just so much information is available now that it might make it a little bit more difficult to try and find it and weed out the stuff that really just is extra. Yeah, it is. It's uh, you know, you do, you have so much and, you know, and so many, and sometimes when you got like, uh, you know, games where you're, you got a compressed schedule where you might play with maybe four or five games in a seven day period, you know, you've got so much information to use that week that you can't really get to it all. But again, it, that's where you have to be able to personalize things and make things real short and deliberate where you can, where you can get those points in or find a way to maybe chip in and put four or five of those points in the same basket and be able to deliver that message. Uh, so it's, it's just a, it's a, you know, constantly changing landscape and, you know, finding, finding a way to do it. Uh, again, at the end of the day, if, if I can fit in everything that, that I've gotten, I, I'm going to do my best to possibly do it and make sure that still it's where people can understand it. And, you know, I'm not mumbling or anything like that. So let's take a Thursday in the middle of November. It's a home game. Kings are playing at 730 at crypto.com arena. What time do you show up here at Toyota Sports Performance Center? Depending on what kind of day it is, I'll either go for a run in the morning 
Or I'll come down here early. Uh, some days I'll even you know get on the ice and work with some kids in the morning. What time are we talking? Six o'clock, five thirty sometimes. That's arrival yeah, yeah. here at the rink. Yeah. That's on the ice. That's not yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, not a, that's on the ice. Yeah. yeah. That's, no and, but that but that's not all the time. That's only once in a while. Seven o'clock. But if not, I try to get down here about eight you know, by eight o'clock. Um, because at that time I know that if there are some injured guys that are gonna go out, they might get a little bit of ice time before. And I love watching that kind of stuff. I love watching the rehabilitation, the things that they're working on. You know, being, you know, somebody that's done a lot of coaching and, you know, still coaching like at our camps and clinics and things like that and helping out with youth hockey. Uh, I learn from our coaches every day and, you know, and, and our development group. So that's uh, that's value, very valuable time to me. Then I, you know, sometimes I'll come up like before I know the team is going to go on for, for their, their skate at, let's say, 1030. I'll do a little bit of my prep work and that'll be where I usually attack my out of town scores because now I've got all my stuff from the NHL. Uh, I can do my notes, you know, set up my streaks and this things and that. If, you know, however many games are set up, I can do that kind of preparation. My news and notes and my other town scores, I'll usually do that. Then once the practice comes out, I'll take a look, make sure we got the line combinations that are set and have a rough idea again, you know, through the, through the, uh, sports game, we can pick up, get the team that the opponent that we're playing against. You look at their line combinations from the last game. They might have something go in from their morning skate. If you have to tweak it a little bit, sometimes you have to add a player or somebody got hurt or healthy scratch or whatever it may be. But, uh, you know, usually that comes about. And then once practice is done, you know, as we all do, you know, uh, all three of us here included, we'll go down, we'll talk to the coaches, players. Hopefully we get back in the locker room again this year and, uh, you know, try and put that, all those little things into, into the, into the broadcast in some way, you know, where, you know, what things I might be able to fit in and, and then, um, it's usually home. And if I haven't had that run yet, I'm going for a run, go for a workout at gym, do some jump rope and, uh, grab some clothes and turn around, head downtown and, you know, get down there about four o'clock. How do you choose which suit you're going to wear? Depends how we did in the game, the last game. How, if, we really? want, if we want, no, no. I, I mean, that, that playoff time becoming a little superstitious. Like, sure. but you know what? No, you've got you get some favorite ones. One thing: try not to wear the color of the opposition. Yeah, that it's important. Yeah, so that's so that's why you see a lot of black in my repertoire in my wardrobe. That uh, you know can't go wrong with with black. But uh, yeah, try to stay away from the opposition. But you have favorites. You know, different places that you go. Um, you know, it's. It, but I try, try to shuffle them around a little bit. I shy away from bright colors. Sorry, Zach. And uh, bought a goldenrod shirt this past season. Was looking forward to wearing it. Had my hand on it and realized, oh, we're playing the Predators tonight. And yep. yep. Put it off till I know what you mean. Night, yep. Another night. One time in the AHL, we were playing Bakersfield. And it was a bus at like two. And I got to the rink early. And I realized I was wearing a blue and orange shirt. <laughs> I literally left morning skate. I drove to Banana Republic because it was the closest thing I could think of that was open and had a shirt. And I bought this ridiculously expensive shirt. I still had a blue suit, but it was right. like a yep. white shirt. Yeah. You did and the I was right like, thing. I spent so much more yeah. money just to not wear the opposing color shirt. Yeah, and it's funny how like you don't pick up on it until like all of a sudden the light switch goes off. Crap. Like what the yeah, like yeah. What, you know, like, it's like what the. <laughs> so you show up at crypto around four. Yeah, around four. Sometimes we do a clinic in the afternoon. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if we do, you know, a tour of the locker room, maybe around two o'clock, and sure. go on the ice from let's say two thirty to three thirty, and you know, then at which building? Crypto. Oh, geez. And yep. you've got to bring soup to the you know war veteran orphans, right? <laughs> <laughs> Only on Tuesday. So. Sure. <laughs> you know, and then before games, uh, I make myself available as much as I possibly can to speak to groups that come. They have groups that come uh, that have either a conference room or. 
the green room, so to speak, downstairs and things like that. Um, so I'll make myself available for that. I enjoy doing that because what it is, it's a little bit of a rehearsal for all the stuff that I've done prepping for the game. I get to kind of, you know, use on those people and, you know, they have a little Q&A with them. And then I get it, you know, we go down in the room as we'd all do. We have a little snack down there or a little meal. And, you know, again, we, you know, talk and we engage with the, you know, the people from the opposition. I uh, get a chance to talk to them and get to see some scouts that, you know, maybe former players, guys that work with different organizations. Like when we're at Crypto.com, we get to see Dave Taylor, which is great, uh, you know, engaging with him. And it, it's just a good place to get caught up. And it, what it does is just, you know, you don't have to worry about driving, going through traffic. You're relaxed, and uh, and we get ready to go. And you know whether it's coming to join you on a pregame show or uh, you know speaking to a group before, and then you know, just get ready to you know watch warm up when the guys get on the ice, and again solidify what the line combinations are, and and get ready to go. Daryl talks about doing these things at home, but I think it's important to note that even when we're on the road. Daryl still knows every person <laughs> yeah. in the building, and I just don't know how you do it. How do you remember by face people in 31 other buildings? Because you have it everywhere. Even Seattle, you probably have people you already know. <laughs> I haven't been there yet, Zach. But, uh, I, you know, I'm hoping I walk through those doors and I see somebody that I know. But, you know, people, that's one of the great things about traveling with the team is the, is the you know, the relationships and the people that you meet. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be doing what I've been doing for so long. But there's people that have been in these buildings that have been doing it twice as long as I have. Not necessarily my job, but other jobs in the facilities. And it's great seeing these people. And, you know, I enjoy, you know, getting caught up with them and, uh, you know, and just sharing stories. And, you know, you get to know some of their families and, and things like that. And some of them have come down here to watch games that I've helped, you know, get tickets to. And uh, it's it's just special. It's, it's relationships. Uh, I, you know, I consider myself a people person. And those are just another another group of people that, that I can meet. And, you know, from over the years, we've lost some people that have, you know, that have passed. And, you know, it's it's sad because now all of a sudden you go into that building, and you don't see that person all the time. And it brings back some great memories, but some definitely some great people and some great relationships. When I first started uh, sitting up in the press box, I had a little conversation with myself where I said, all right, I'm going to learn the name of all the crypto.com employees who, you know, are in the elevator, the, I guess ushers is not the right word, but the people that are yep. up in the press box, I'm going to learn their name and I'm going to make a point of not just assuming that they're there to, you know, make our lives easier, that they're people and they yep. have jobs. And then I see you knowing every single human being's name on the planet or, and then I a, wouldn't go that far. <laughs> and then AB who works at crypto.com yep. arena, who knows everybody. Yep. Yep. As soon as they turn the corner, he could probably identify them just by name. Yep. Kings, Clippers, Lakers, Sparks, right, everything. And I just go, all right, I give up. Yep. Whatever. <laughs> no, those those guys are amazing because yeah. they're dealing, like you say, with not just one, you know, one team. They've got multiple teams yeah. that come through there. And, you know, A, B, I mean, those guys are as sharp as can be. It's, he's uh, got to know yeah. everybody from every visiting yeah. team, too, to. right? Like, he's yeah. incredible. And it's, the meal yeah. list is the biggest formality yeah. on the planet because yeah. A, B knows if you are on it. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, all right. Sorry. I totally blew my, yeah. <laughs> blew myself off track there. Um, so let's talk about the post game show because you do the game. Well, actually before we do the post game show, um, once upon a time in a different part of my life, I did a little bit of amateur Shakespeare theater. And before we went on stage at some goofy show, the guy who was about to do the scene with me looked at me and was outdoor. And he, he said, you know, Jesse, after all this time, I still get that little pit in my stomach, you know? And I looked at him and I said, no, I don't. He said, what do you mean? I said, we've rehearsed this 
yep. backwards and forwards a million times. You know exactly what you're going to say. I know exactly what I'm I know when they're going to laugh. Like, yep. I'm not nervous. I just want to do this and go home. Um, I didn't like doing it very much. I'm not sure why I did it. My question, though, after all that is, do you do you ever experience any kind of, of performance anxiety? Or is, at this point, is it just you're going out and you're talking to a group of people that you're not looking at? I always look at it as adrenaline. I feed off of that. Um, and I think if you're not feeling that, then you're probably not passionate or not having fun with what you're doing. So Zach, I'm not passionate. And yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's like about Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't blame you for that. I mean, I, I skipped out of school too, <laughs> but no, it's just like, you know, I, th- I think, it, I think it's good to feel like that. Uh, you know, like I know, you know, whether it be the radio or TV, you know, you just get that, you know, get it. Okay. Boom, boom. You're kind of rehearsing in your head. You're going over a few things that you want to make sure you say or say, right. Um, you know, statistics also are, you know, very important. You don't want to get a statistic wrong. And, you know, you can say some things that are casual, but it, it, and I think you should feel that way. Um, because that, that means you're dialed in, you're focused on what you're doing. I mean, if you, if you just went in nonchalant and you didn't care, you wouldn't care about making mistakes. So one of the things I've learned from doing this now for a few years is I like to prepare. I like to be uh, same. You, you mentioned yep. the New York Times, right? You like to go in. You like to come out of whatever you're doing with a bunch of stuff that you didn't get to get to. But I know enough now to know that I can do it yep. without any preparation. Like if I wake up at two o'clock in the afternoon and I go, oh, man, I've slept through morning skate. I don't have anything loaded i don't have any guests i know i can go and kill it for an hour i don't mean kill it to do well i just mean kill the hour um but now i've gotten to the point where i can feel like i can recognize when other people are doing it and i've realized like now that i've learned all the parlor tricks for how you can you know make one fact into five sentences by just sort of repeating it three different ways and then circling back and going well you know as we said the toronto maple leafs power play has really been struggling lately and of course you want to have a good power play if you're going to win games and they have not because they don't i know all that now i hear it it drives me nuts how do you how do you uh, uh you're such a nice guy uh this is not really the way i wanted to say that but do you evaluate other people in your position like can you even listen to other people doing your job now or are you constantly thinking you know how much how you would do it differently how good a job they're doing i i wouldn't necessarily say like you know i uh when i listen to broadcast whether it's a hockey broadcast or baseball football basketball i listen and there are nights that i'm more tuned in to listen in it from the standpoint of i don't, I don't want to say critiquing but paying more attention to the way, you know, what's going on. And you know, they did a really good job with the broadcast, so they made it tough to listen to. Um, you know, I find sometimes, and you can, like you say, you, pick, you can pick up on the people that are kind of, they're filling, filling time. Uh, it's the quality of the stuff that you're putting in there. And, you know, so it, I think it's, I think it's good because you use it as a measuring stick against yourself. Like, okay, you know, I wonder how I'm doing. And every once in a while, and I have the luxury, like when, Nick's doing his, uh, you know, his uh, uh, rewinds and things like that. Like I'll listen and I can hear some of my comments and I'll go, I was too wordy on that one. Or, you know, uh, get to the point quicker. Like I'll critique myself on it. So it's a good learning thing. But I think I think it's good to listen to others and other sports, Um, you know, because when you look at, you know, let's say Super Bowl games, Stanley Cup finals, uh, World Series games and, you know, the NBA and that, the broadcasters are doing those. There's even some there where, 
you know, personally, I might find some fault in that I don't, I'm not really that interested. You know, they lose my, uh, my attention. And then others, ones that are great that I don't care what's going on. The game could be a 40 point blowout or five goal blowout. And I'll, I, I like listening to what the guy's got to say or what he, she has to say. Do you have a broadcasting idol? Yeah, my partner. Nick Nixon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, couldn't ask for a better it, one. Yeah, you know, like like I say, I, that's I, the recast. Yeah, right there. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, like, can I rephrase? Because I, you talk, I know you'll talk great things about Nick, and that's yeah. accurate. Like a an idol that is a color commentator, or like maybe a player who you saw. Oh, like this individual played and transitioned into commentating, similar to me, and is outstanding at what they do. Yeah, I, you know, I think like again, just going back, you know, I'll touch base. Like when I started broadcasting here, you know, with Bob on TV and Nick, you know, doing the radio, blessed there, and Jimmy already had a you know a real good you know platform underneath him by the time I came on board. So, and you know, still to this day, I mean, you know, the experience that Jimmy has and and that uh, and that uh, Nick has, I mean, I, I still feed off of those guys. I think some you know some of the guys that have done a good job in the transition. I think Stu Grimson's done a really good job in transitioning over there. Uh, I, I like listening to him for the most part. He, you know, he's very articulate in the way he describes things. Uh, Eddie Olchuk, I think, does a good job as well. So I'll pick up on a few of these guys, you know, a few of these guys. And then there's, you know, there's a couple of other, other guys that, you know, again, I think they're they're filling time and they're scrambling a little bit when they're out there just because they haven't done their homework. So um, I know when I, when I first broke in and probably even worse before I used to see guys, you know, down the press room with a napkin, you know, what are the lines tonight? You know, and I kind of, I kind of chuckle to myself, you know, and here we are, we, you know, we all got our folders. Jimmy's got this one that comes out of the computer. It's all printed out different colors, all this. Alex got, you know, 342 different colors on his <laughs> prints so small that, you know, you need Morse code to, to break it down and all that. But, uh, everybody prepares in their own way, but. Um, I think right now, like uh, in the era that we're in right now, everybody's doing a much better job at preparing and understand that, you know, people do pick up because we're not the only ones that are relying upon to learn from. They can pick it up from the Internet. They can pick it up from, you know, any of these, you know, like, you know, podcasts and things like that. I mean, why would I want somebody to learn more from you about our game than when I've got that airtime to be able to teach them, you know, three, three, four hours during the game? So I, I think it's just raises it raises your game to a higher level so another lesson that i learned the older i get is that everything now i'll say it, everything's about communication right you could have the worst news in the world but if somebody finds the right way to communicate it to you it's not devastating you could have a tremendous day but if somebody comes and says it to you rudely or something you know and so you mentioned that you're a people person, but sports fans are not rational people. And again, I have to highlight that I am including myself. You yep. know, right, Daryl, you've seen me mm-hmm. <laughs> screaming at people after the games, <laughs> having fights about silly, mundane things that don't matter. I've listened to King's Talk. I used to listen to it religiously on my way home from the games when I was just a fan. Um, now I try and listen to you and, and Nick on my drive home from the games after I finish what I got to do. And I, you still getting phone calls from people going fire, you know, fire the coach, put the players on a rocket, shoot it into the sun, <laughs> trade everybody, you know, sell the team, change the name, change the colors. This is awful. Like how, what's your approach to handling the most just irate customer at some level uh, when they call in, just looking to be miserable? You know, some people you're not going to be able to get through to because they feel that, this is 
there's time, there's stage to be able to, to vent. Sure. And what I do immediately when I hear that is I feel sorry for these people. I wonder what kind of life they're living behind the other side of that, you know, the phone call coming in that things have really got to be miserable for you to take that time to go absolutely ballistic after a game. Like you, know, you lose, you, know, you could win 10 games in a row. All of a sudden you lose one game. And like you say, you're getting rid of all the players, the coaches, you're mo- relocating the team. And <laughs> it's like, settle down. You know, there's, there's, there's a happy medium in everything. And I think that's where you really have to, you know, you have to keep your composure. And I know, you know, Nick, again, he's done a lot longer than I have. And I know I can see once in a while when he, you know, he's starting to get, you know, a little, little, little testy, you know, where, and, and I respect that. And I respect that he, that he shows that. And I've done that a couple of times too. And he, you know, he pulls me back a little bit because I think it's important that, that people, you know, they see it coming from us a little bit too. It's not just, you know, that we've got emotion involved in it too. I don't want to see this team lose 10, 15 games in a row. And I don't want to see guys making the same mistake. So, you know, we might find a little uh, kinder way to be able to kind of, you know, express that. And I think if the person making the call, and we've had some callers that have come in and in a different way, like you say, communicate, they'll communicate, they're ripping a team left and right, but in a way where we can have a conversation just like we're having now. Like, I would do this because I don't think of that. Okay. You know, he's put some thought into it. I can respect that. It's an opinion. You know, and, and, and you'll, you, you'll listen to them and you won't get into a combative type of argument. I mean, then we can voice our thing and say, okay, do it this way. And then sometimes all of a sudden, you know, they're coming way out and you get them to move a little bit. And you come to like where you're meeting on, on some common ground there. So, again, communication is key word in everything. You talk about, you know, wanting the team to do well. And you can see when the team isn't or maybe, you know, when the team makes mistakes. How does your relationship with people who play impact the way that you call games because when you have the job that you have you don't just know these people as the subjects of your call but you also know them as people like off the ice yeah and i think that's where you really have to become consistent with the guys and it's the way you deliver it it's not like oh my god no this guy's the worst player ever seen what's he doing on the team and then tomorrow hey you know oh good luck tonight have a good game it's like you know there's a happy medium in there you know like I've, you know, I, again, because of the role that I have, you know, I've been going to do, uh, you know, to the draft for a number of years. And, you know, the first day when these guys are drafted, I'm, you know, kind of one of those first people that from your organization, you know, you go down and you do an interview, whether you're holding a microphone or you're just there shaking a hand. And, you know, I like to, you know, build a rapport. I was part of the development team for a number of years. So when the guys would come in for development camps, again, you get to know these guys. So when you do, say something in a negative tone, you know, or something a negative about their game, you know, they might not like it sometimes, but they'll respect it if you're right. Uh, you know, if, you know, if again, we all have opinions, we could all, nothing's necessarily right or wrong, but, you know, the player knows if he hasn't played a good game for a while before he made a mistake. I'm not going to say, oh, that was the worst mistake. What the heck were you thinking you know, when he gave that puck away? It's like, oh, I know, you know, tough play. And let that, let them answer. Let them start to talk about it. And you'll find that they'll open up and they'll give you stuff. But I think it, it, that's where you build a respect between each other. Uh, it's the more you get to engage with them. I'm at every practice that I can possibly be at. And I'll talk to you whether you scored 10 goals last night. And I'll talk to you if you hadn't scored a goal in three years. That I'm consistent with you there. So it's, I'm not going to, you know, patch you on, you know, just be there for when things are going good. That you're part of the team and, and you got an important part of the team. How do you juggle? No, juggle's not the right word. Because of your role, um, and not just your role, but your personality, the way the company's structured, how we do things, 
you know more than you're allowed to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you're looked to to answer, you know, even if the question isn't asked, you have to sort of anticipate what the question might be and answer it. So you say, you know, a guy hasn't scored a goal in three years. Yep. Well, you might know something about why that guy hasn't scored a goal in three years. That's really no fan's business. Yeah. Right. Personal issues, health issues. Who knows? What, or he's right? just not that good. Yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> sure. That's well within the boundaries. Yeah. This Jonathan Quick guy hasn't scored. <laughs> yeah, years. that's right. Exactly. But but, you know, there's it's a it's a trope, right? That when a guy leaves a team, all the local media, you know, if a guy gets traded, right, especially in Boston, all the local media gets to op- empty out their folders and say, like, OK, here's all the stories about what a miserable curmudgeon he was in the locker room. Here's yep. all the stories about he didn't get along with the coach. He didn't like his teammates, blah, blah, blah. But you're not telling that story when he's there. It doesn't serve anybody's purpose. So how do you how do you decide where the line is on the information that the organization's not going to come out and say like, hey, don't say X, Y, Z, and the other things take all day. You know? Yeah, I think you can kind of generalize that. Like if you see a player that you know, let's say it's a third, fourth line player, or you know, or a role player that's trying to get into the lineup on a consistent basis. You know, why am I not in the lineup all the time? I should be there. I'm better than so and so. You know, he hasn't scored in ten games. I know I could score, and you know, I think the way you have to do it, the way I try to like bring it out on a on a broadcast is that, you know, having been a player and gone basically through all those things that, you know, there was nights I thought that I deserved to be in the lineup and I wasn't in the lineup, that I was better than somebody else. Uh, sometimes it's out of your control. There, there's timing. Like it's, you know, like f- for instance, right now, you look at a centerman coming up into the LA Kings right now. If you're sitting there looking like, okay, I'm a great player. I might not get a chance to play center on this team. I might get shifted to the wing, you know, unless a deal is made or something like that. So it's um, you you have to you know open your eyes up and look at it from from a bigger perspective and try to see it through where the other people are seeing it. Like you know, sometimes we all know that a first round pick or a second round pick has got a longer leash than you know the guy that was drafted you know like ninth round you know like, like myself or something like that. You know, you might so you got to be good at that particular time when you get that chance. Um, it's, is it fair? No, it's not fair, but, but it's part of the game and, uh, you know, timing and, uh, being prepared. It's, you know, just like a broadcast, you know, telecast, anything you want to look at, you got to be prepared because when that opportunity comes and that's why when you're in practice, don't be sitting there sulking, you know, your lips on the ice and the Zamboni's got to come pick up your lip. You know, you go out there, you work and, you know, believe it or not, those coaches, even though you may have not played in 15 games, they're going to sit there and go. Every time we race, that kid's the first in the line. Every time he shoots, you know, he's trying to score. He's just not going over there and snapping one at the goalie. That picks up. And when the opportunity comes, they say, you know, who should we put in? Should we put Jess in or should we put Zach in tonight? You know, and if Zach's been doing all that and, Jess, you've been kind of just taking a lackadaisical approach to it, Zach's going to get that chance. It might That might be that chance that will open that door and his career might just take off from there. So that is a sentiment that uh, Todd McClellan, I think, has – mentioned at least half a dozen times over the last year or two and every time he does my ears perk up because that right there seems like a a, a cure-all for a lot of questions that people have there's something called hanlon's razor and it's a thought experiment where you say it's a, just a saying and it says never attribute to malice that which can be explained by uh by uh, stupidity or yep. incompetence um we need a name for that 
what you're talking about. Like, if you ever wonder why a guy's not getting in the lineup for some reason, I feel like that might be the most common explanation. Or am I yeah, putting too no, much? No, no, you're, you're, it isn't. It, it is pretty, like, there's a lot of guys that fall in that category. You know, it's like when you look at it, you look at a team, there's probably on every team, if you're looking at 20 guys in a the roster, they're, you know, you're looking at there's four or five guys that stand out to everybody. Those are the names that everybody, boom, boom, boom. These are the guys. And after that, you know, it's pretty much, you know, consistency. I mean, you look how many times we say that word consistent with young players coming up. You know, when you get the opportunity, okay, you shine one night, and then all of a sudden you disappear for two weeks. Then you're the best player in the game. It's like, so if you find that consistency, that's what they're, that's what they're looking for. And, and you have to try to communicate that. But, uh, you know, it sometimes – you know, it's that one step backwards, and it might get me getting sent down to the minors again. It might mean getting traded. Nobody wants to get traded. You know, you come in, you know, you, you build a rapport with players, you know, whether coaches, you like the area that you're living in. But that might actually be the most positive, constructive thing that happens and with regards to you eventually trying to get to where you're going to be in. It's just, it's just a, a change of climate. It's, uh, you know, you never know. I just want to sort of take an opportunity to remind people that when we talk about consistency, the time that an NHL player spends on the ice during an NHL game is a very small percentage of the amount of time that he's getting evaluated on consistency. Because I see a lot of things of like, well, this player, you know, had three good games in a row and then wasn't in the lineup or got shuffled down. the. You know, I don't understand. Like he's consistently good. And you're like for 10 minutes during three games but he's an employee of the team the other yep. 20 like the, the matt roy line you're yeah, right the most consistent individual <laughs> right like, play yeah. and personality wise like where do you fall on the matt roy mm-hmm. yeah and there's you know and there's a lot of guys that you know i think whenever whenever you want to be part of a team you want to be predictable you want to be accountable and you want to be trusted and if you have that rapport within the people that you work for, then your consistency is going to come because they're no, they're going to know what to expect from you every time. Do we all waver slightly? Yeah, but the ones that can fill those those you know those boxes, you know, consistently getting those checks that you know being punctual, you know, being respectful. All there's there's so many different little things that you can put in there, but trust, accountability. It's you know. It uh, inconsistency. You, you do that. Uh, you're you're going to be you're going to be a, a, a good person. You're going to be a good teammate, and eventually you're going to be a contributor and a piece that everybody needs. Whether you're, you know you're an athlete or you're in a business, uh, you're going to be a valuable. You're going to be a valuable asset to 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 anybody. All right, I'm going to drill down into the person of Daryl Evans here, because I believe everything that you said is correct, but I know that I personally struggle with it because. I have this weird role where I have a job, I come to the, you know, I come to the office, I do my work, but then if I bump into somebody on the street and they knew who I am, doesn't matter what day, doesn't matter what time, I'm now on the clock again because this because I'm, you know, Jesse going to the LA Kings. You and Jim and Bob and Al, you know, you guys have that times a thousand. So, do you ever like how do you deal with the pressure, I mean, you must not, from my perspective, you don't feel that pressure because it doesn't seem like there's any difference between Daryl Evans at work and Daryl Evans not at work. But how do you 
How do you get to, I guess I'm just looking for you to be my therapist right now. How do you, how do you yeah. get to be that person where you're just who you are well, all I, the, all the time? And so you don't worry about it. Again, it just comes down to consistency. Be that same person. Uh, you know, the person that you are on the air, again, if, if you're a personality that, you know, people are, whether you're listening to or you're watching on TV and they see in person, you know, especially like, you know, again, most of the, everything that I do, I'm involved at either, specific charity that i'm at or hockey related so i know that there's a captive audience there so i'm i'm on my toes you know i'm you know i'm expecting you know to they're expecting me to be at my best so i'm expecting myself to be at my best and i want to engage with those people if i can't engage with those people and it might be after the kings have lost 10 games in a row you know we just got beat out of the playoffs there's there's a I don't want to say a positive spin, but there's a lot of constructive things. Like nobody was happy that we got beat out in the first round last year or this past you know, postseason against Edmonton, but it's the first time we've been in a postseason for five years. So there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. Then all of a sudden you see management go out and do the things that they've done, you know, the players that they bring on board. The days ahead look great. So I've got no problem going out. And I think it's you show your face and – whether you've won 10 or you've lost 10 and you're that same person. And that, that's who I try to be regardless. And, and I'll try to be as honest as I possibly can. I mean, of course, there's some things you're, you know, you're not, like you say, you're not able to, you know, to, to share with people. But I think there's, you, can, you can share enough, give them a little bit of information that they feel like, oh, I appreciate that answer you give me. You know, you give me a little something. You're know, like, I'm going to give you something from, maybe you're not able to you know, come to practice all the time, but I'll tell you. Hey, boom, boom, boom. This is what, you know, somebody will say, you know, how come so-and-so hasn't, you know, played in so long? Well, you know, last couple of days he's been playing on Kopitar's line in practice. So, you know, there's something that they're looking at. You know, maybe they're waiting for him to, you know, take a step or something like that. So I'll try to share as much on the inside, give them a little bit more of a, being that they took the time to come and talk to me, I'm going to try and give them something that, you know, makes them feel a little bit more connected. And I think what that does is you, you bring a follower now who is going to be more on the side of the organization, understanding that, you know, it, it it doesn't happen overnight, and you know I, we all want it to happen yesterday. But look how long it's taken to build this team, you know, back to being a competitive team again. And we're still not quite there yet. We're moving in the right direction. We've come a long way in the last three, four years, but we still got a long way to go. You know, we're we're, we're climbing a mountain, but to get to that top is going to be tough. Just like Colorado this year, they, they weren't the worst team in the league last year. It's taken a few years. They've had some great talent there for a number of years. Vegas. They knocked on the door right off the bat. And some people might say that they're further behind now than where they were when they started. You know, so it's, 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 it's tough. It's not easy, but, um, you know, I love dealing with the, with, with our fan base and, you know, you come across it every day. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, sometimes I'm even amazed at how many people know who I am, <laughs> but it's, I, I, I cherish it. I mean, it just goes to show you that these people care and, to, and that they care to take the time to say something to you and you know, want to engage in a conversation. I've stopped my bike uh, riding a strand at night. The sunlight's been up and I can't find my way home. It's been so dark. I've been talking for so long on the beach. But it's that's what it's about. If people want to talk, I, you know, I'm going to talk to them because that's, uh, you know, that's somebody that cares about our team. It doesn't happen often, but every now and then, maybe once a year, maybe less, Someone will come up to me and say, you messed up. Daryl's mad. 
and I'll go, oh, no, what did I do? And I'll have done something and I've gotten in your way or left something behind or whatever. And, uh, and then I always feel terrible about it. And then I always come and find you later and I try and apologize. And you never seem mad in the slightest. But the person who told me is always like, geez, Daryl's upset. You really screwed up. And I'm like, oh, no. When was the last time you lost your temper? I can't even tell you. Might have been with Mr. Smith back in England. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I think, you know, I think that's one thing. Like, you know, as time time goes by, you evolve through things, and you were you, you think about you pick your battles. Like, none of us are perfect. So, if I can't be forgiving of somebody, how would I ever expect anybody to be forgiving of me? And I know I've messed up on the radio. Like I've said something, and you know, and still think I've said it right. And, you know, Nick, you know, we'll go to a break and I'm, same thing. I'll go back to him and goes, Oh, you said this. And I go, I did. And, you know, sure enough, you know, like he'll play it back and you, yeah, I've said that. Not, none of us are perfect, but it's the way that you deal with things. And like, like I say, it's forgive and forget. I mean, it's like, especially when they're innocent mistakes, when there's malicious intent behind it, that's a different thing. And if there's malicious intent behind it, then you just brush it aside and you don't even worry about it because it's not worth, it's not worth the negative, the energy you're going to put to it. That old saying, one bad apple spoils a whole bunch. So don't let that one bad apple spoil the whole bunch. There's a lot good going on. And I always look for the good in, any, in anybody. You know, regardless of who you are, I look, I look for the best. And, uh, you know, if sometimes people have a tough day. You don't know what went on behind the scenes with them, whether it's at home, at work, uh, you know, personal relationships or things like that. Just you know, try, try to try to be try to be a, you know, a, a bright spot in somebody's life. Don't. You know, and, and don't feed off negativity and, you know, don't get involved in that. I mean, we're all going to talk, you know, negative about different things like that. But when it comes to the point where you know it's going to hurt somebody, push it aside. Well, as always, Daryl Evans, you're a way better person than I am. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 never, never, Jess. Uh, thanks as always for your time. Appreciate it. Is that the end of the first period? Or that, we done? No, I think we're done for today. <laughs> but I mean, we'll do this again anytime you want. Uh, Zach, as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And, Great uh, talking to both of you. Pre- yeah. Appreciate your time. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.